You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Chapter 8, verse 3. So if you're tuning in on Facebook Live, we're, we're glad you are with us uh, on this uh, rainy and cold morning. But we have God's Word to turn to. And let me invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. We're just going to focus on one verse this morning. But we will look at uh, many others that go along with it. But Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Let me read God's Word for us. And then we'll pray. And then we'll begin to see what God's word will teach us. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we gather for worship this morning, Lord, that you would work in our hearts in such a way that you would provoke within us a strong spiritual hunger that might be satisfied by your word. Father, in the scriptures contain the message of salvation, the message of life, the message of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of his coming, Lord, the wonders of his death in the place of sinners, and Lord, yes, the glories of his resurrection and the victory that all can have by faith in Jesus. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that for those who are here, that we might know this gospel in this word, that we would treasure it in our hearts. And Lord, that we as your people would be ones who are always hungering and yet always satisfied. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So shortly after Israel watched the mighty hand of God deliver them out of the mighty grip of Pharaoh, they responded to God's redemption with a good deal of complaining, didn't they? You know the story. And one of their many complaints that they had was their hunger. You see, just two months after God had brought them out of Egypt, after they crossed through the the passing of the waters of the Red Sea by God's mighty hand, they, they began to wish, again, just a few weeks, two months after the fact, they began to wish that God would have just killed them in Egypt rather than bring them out into the wilderness. After all, in Egypt, they were slaves, sure, but at least they had meat and bread to eat. It would have been better to die there nourished than to die in the wilderness starving with God. And yes, the Lord heard their complaints, their cries for hunger, and the Lord provided for his people in the wilderness with bread from heaven called manna. And God instructed his people in Exodus 16, if you want to go back and read about this account, he instructed his people to go out each day, every day, except on the Sabbath, and they were to gather enough bread for that day. No more, no less. Day by day, God provided 
food for Israel's survival for 40 years until they came into a habitable land. Now, towards the end of these 40 years in the wilderness, God is trying to help his people before they enter into the promised land. He wants them to understand what is the manna thing all about. Why did God provide manna? Why did he do so in this way? Why was it provided daily? You see, what God wanted them to learn was a lesson. And Deuteronomy 8.3 is that lesson. It's our key verse for today. Let's look at it one more time. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, for the Christian, Jesus has provided a feast for every believer, a banquet of truth available each day for our spiritual nourishment and strength. And every day, as God's people, we need that spiritual food to strengthen us in our faith, to enable us to, to follow Jesus with boldness, to abide in our fellowship and union with him. We need that food. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is the bread who has come down from heaven, who provides lasting and permanent satisfaction by his life, death, and resurrection. And Jesus has given us himself, and he has given us his word. His word. You see, we have many needs as believers, don't we? Oxygen is a start. Water. Food. Shelter, we need all of these things for our survival, but yet the greatest need that you have this morning is none of those things. The greatest need that you and I have is for the grace-giving, soul-strengthening, spirit-guiding word of God. That is what we need. The intake of the Bible, consuming the scriptures as the daily means of grace, this is what the Spirit uses to sanctify his church, to build us up, to sustain us in the faith. You see, as we, we talk about this means of grace today, about the word of God, we're going to rejoice that God provides us with a feast, a feast called the means of grace, called the word. This is what we'll be focusing on this morning. So the sermon summary is really an invitation. Come and feast upon the Word of God. Come and feast upon the Word of God. And I pray that God might stir your appetite today for the Word of God in your life and that you would accept the invitation to come and eat. As we think about God's Word as a means of grace, we're going to kind of do it in two two sections, really, with, with two questions. We're going to first consider why we need the Word of God. Why do we need it? Why has God chosen to have our Christian life operate with the daily consumption of His Word? And then secondly, we'll get really practical, and I will share with you how you can put into practice this daily feasting on God's Word. So we're going to answer the why first, second, the how. Let's Think about the why. Why 
Do we need to feast on the word of God? Deuteronomy 8.3 is best known for Jesus' use of it in combating his first temptation in the wilderness. That might be where you're most familiar with this verse, is Jesus' quotation of it. But Moses gave the reminder here that man does not live on bread alone to Israel. And he gives it to Israel in his second giving of the law, Deuteronomy, as the people are approaching the promised land. And it's interesting, if you look at Deuteronomy 8, what's going on here? Well, Moses is calling, his, uh, calling the people of God to remembrance, to remember, particularly as Israel is on the cusp of entering into that land of rest. And Moses realizes that once the people enter into the promised land, a temptation is going to come. They will be tempted to forgetfulness. They will be tempted to neglect the law, the word of God, the commandment that God gives. Particularly once they experience the prosperity and the blessing and the land flowing of milk and honey called the promised land. And Moses is trying to to help them understand that more than food, Israel's thriving in the land depended on their remembering of the Lord. God warns that the land's blessing could make them proud. It could make them self-reliant. And so Moses here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, draws out an important lesson that God intended the manna in the wilderness to instruct. Now look at, look at what the text says. Look at 8.3 here. And it says, God tells them, and he humbled you and let you hunger. Do you see that, how that opens up there? Now, why would God want his people to hunger? God humbled you. God let you hunger. Now, why would God do that? Why would God want their stomachs to churn for food? Well, God does it so that he might feed them. That's why. Their physical need reminded them of their dependence upon the God who provides to meet that need. And he provided them with nourishment. That nourishment was manna from heaven. Now, what does bread, what does bread from heaven have to do with the means of grace in the word? Well, notice the reason why God provided manna for Israel. In particular, look at the word that that we see here in 8.3. That, which shows us the purpose of the manna. Look, look what 8.3 says. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by, by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So while Israel needed food for survival, just like you do, just like I do, the lesson that God was trying to teach Israel was not a physical one, but a spiritual one. Israel's dependence upon God goes beyond mere bread, something to eat. Israel's actual need, their true need, was for the word of God. And when we think about the need for the word of God, in our Christian lives, as a means of grace, why does God design the Christian life to work in this way? Why do we as believers need to regularly consume 
God's word? Why is our spiritual survival and thriving dependent upon our consumption of God's word in the believer's life? I think Deuteronomy 8.3 helps us understand why. That God is glorified by our experiencing of spiritual hunger and by his provision of spiritual food. God is uniquely glorified in the believer's life in that way. In other words, it's just as Jesus describes the kingdom of God and the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. God makes us aware of our spiritual hunger, and then he comes in and he satisfies the hunger. He meets that need. This is the same dynamic in how any one of us comes to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation in the first place. As we hear the preaching of the gospel, as we hear the good news of the word of God, the message of salvation, what happens is the spirit begins to show us our great need for that salvation. And then as we begin to sense that spiritual hunger, that lack of salvation, then the Lord comes in and he meets that need. He gives us the gospel. He gives us the word made flesh. He gives us Jesus. And then anyone who repents and believes and upon Jesus and feasts upon him will experience the satisfaction that our spiritual hunger points towards. Now this same pattern repeats over and over again in the Christian life. This is vital to understand that this hunger and satisfaction occurs through the entirety of the Christian life. As Martin Lloyd-Jones said, he said, you see, the Christian is one who at one and the same time is hungering and thirsting, and yet he is filled. And the more he is filled, the more he hungers and thirsts. That is the blessedness of the Christian life. It goes on. See, Lloyd-Jones is pointing to this, this cyclical pattern of hungering and thirsting for the Lord, and yet again the Lord time and again filling us with the provision of Christ. This is the pattern of the Christian life, of spiritual hunger feeding on the word and satisfaction in God. And that cycle repeats over the course of the Christian life. So why must we take up the means of the word of God in the Christian life? Why read your Bible? Well, it's not to be a performative task. It's not a heavy burden. It's not a legalistic demand for the Christian. But, but isn't that the way we often think about it? After all, we are told... I've heard as a kid, you got to read your Bible every day. And so the intake of the Bible begins in our minds to become a chore rather than a feast, an obligation rather than refreshment. And this faulty perspective that we have imbibed, this perspective hinders our Bible reading before we even start it because we're missing the point. We're missing the beauty of it. The means of the word is a daily feast. It's a feast that God has prepared for his people to ensure their spiritual survival. Taking up the word each day for a Christian is like making sure you show up to dinner. Right? We need it. Taking up the word each day is a beautiful, joyous thing to do because we live not by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So we are dependent upon God in our Christian lives, dependent upon him 
And God is glorified by providing every day that need through his word. You see, day by day, God provides the word to nourish us in the faith. And we come and we humbly partake of it. After all, your body, you might die without food, but our souls face eternal death without the word of God. The same word of God that initiates our salvation with our justification is the same word that sustains our salvation with our sanctification. You see, in daily Bible reading, God is glorified as the generous provider of sustaining you in the faith yet another day. And we are sanctified as we humbly come before the Lord and hungrily feast upon the scriptures. Listen carefully. You cannot grow in Christ without a regular intake of the word of God. It's not possible. It's not the way God has designed the Christian life to be. The means of the word, along with prayer, are the foundation of all the other means of grace. And without the regular feasting upon God's word, we will spiritually starve. Donald Whitney, who is the author of a modern classic called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he said this. He said, no spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's word. Nothing can substitute for it. There simply is no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of Scripture. He's absolutely right. Let, let it, let's take just a moment, and let's see that this is not just something Deuteronomy 8.3 affirms, but Scripture itself testifies over and over again of its own authority, its own power, its own necessity in the believer's life. So let's do a quick run through some, some key passages of Scripture. They'll be on the screen. Don't try to turn to them, right? Just listen to them and, and watch, right? We see that Scripture possesses permanent authority and truthfulness. Isaiah 40, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We see that scripture illuminates the fallen mind and provides understanding of the truth. Psalm 119 Verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. We see that scripture says that it finds its own fulfillment in Jesus, who said in Matthew 5, verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. We see that scripture is the breathed out word of God which teaches and trains us for righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We see that God's word is the means of the spirit, which brings conviction to the heart and exposes sin within us. Hebrews chapter 4, 
verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give accounts. We see that the scriptures say that spiritual emphasis, spiritual babiness, is marked by scriptural ignorance. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And that's just a, a few, right? Over and over again, God's word attests to its permanent and final authority in the Christian life. That scripture is a means of grace that the Spirit uses not only to bring us to faith in the gospel, but to sustain that faith in the gospel, maturing us day by day by day. You see, the holiness in the believer's life grows through the means of the Word of God. And every day, God has provided us in Christ with a feast, a feast in the pages of Scripture. And every day, the Christian opens up the Bible and we consume, we eat as the Word of God shapes us and convicts us and teaches us and equips us. The life of the Christian is marked by a continual feasting on the Word of God. Is that a mark of your life? It's continual feasting on the Word of God. J.I. Packer understood the Christian life, I think, better than most folks. And he understood it to be one who was shaped by the daily meditation on God's word. Here's what, what Packer said. He said, The healthy Christian is the Christian who has a sense of God's presence stamped deep on his soul, who trembles at God's word, who lets it dwell in him richly by constant meditation upon it, and who tests and reforms his life daily in response to it. Again, the Christian life is one that is marked by the presence of God as the Word of God continually shapes his mind, his heart, his affections. We must feast upon the Word of God. So hopefully I've made that case. Maybe I've convinced you of the, the beauty and the joy of feasting every day on the Word of God, but you might be thinking, How? <laughs> How do I do that? How do I develop this habit of, of feasting upon the Word of God each day? And to that we now turn. How do we feast on the Word of God? Now we have to acknowledge, before we even begin this, this practical section here, that there are a various variety of ways to intake God's Word. In fact, I've struggled greatly to put this second part of this sermon together, not because I didn't know what to say, but because there's so much that could be said in terms of daily practices of intaking the words of God, taking up this means of grace. However, I've boiled it down to just ten, right? Ten principles to help you think as you feast upon the word of God every day. Many of these will be quick 
And this is by no means exhaustive, but I pray that this might provide you some help to feast upon God's word every day. Now remember, before we get too far into this, right, that as we've talked about the means of grace, remember, replicating mechanics is not what we're after. Our goal is to abide in Christ, to commune with the Lord, to feast at the buffet of truth found in God's word. So first, let me encourage you to agitate your appetite. (laughs) To agitate your appetite. This is an important thing to know about your heart. It's part of the way God has designed us as his image bearers, is that we do what our affections propel us to do. So much of our actions are driven by our desires. And so we have to face the reality that the reason some of us don't take up the means of the word of God is that we simply do not desire it. That's a painful thing to confess about your own heart, but it it is the starting point. That when we don't read the scriptures, something begins to happen. Our, Our appetite for it begins to wane. After all, think about it. This is exactly how it works with actual bread, with actual food, isn't it? That, that when we don't eat, our hunger becomes very pronounced. And you can go a day without eating, and you're going to feel the, the pangs of hunger in your stomach. They're going to increase. But as you begin to go several days without food, something strange begins to happen to your body. The hunger pangs begin to go away. You see, if you go several days without food, you won't feel hungry quite like you did on those first few days. And so it is with the Word of God. Some of you have been so negligent in taking up this means of grace that your appetite for God's Word has waned. You don't feel it anymore. And so the first thing you need to do is, with the help of the Spirit, agitate your appetite for Scripture. Now, how do you do that? (laughs) Well, first, we have to realize the miserable state that we are in. And we have to say, God, I'm I'm being honest. I don't sense a strong appetite for your word. I've been negligent for far too long. I've forgotten what the good food of your word tasted like. Provoke within me a desire for your word. We have to confess our need for the Spirit to work and to stir up that appetite. Second... Cut out distractions and activities in your life that numb your desire for God's word. There are a lot of good things in our life that aren't outright sinful, but they might be things in your life that siphon affection and energy and a desire away from God's word. Identify what those are and be militant and curbing against those desires. And third, start reading the Bible. (laughs) take up the word of God. Surround yourself with the Bible, whether it's listening to it on your commute, memorizing verses in the shower, reading the Bible on your lunch break, discussing with your friend, being committed to a teaching, uh, anytime the word is being preached publicly and prayer meeting and church and anything else going on, be present. Surround yourself with the word of God. And what will happen is that if you begin to place yourself regularly at the banquet table of Scripture, the desire to take and eat for yourself will come. So first, agitate your appetite. Second, develop a set time and place. 
that, that if we want to make the private consumption of Scripture a regular habit in our lives, we, we needed to figure out a set time and place for doing so. Now, there's no prescription here, right, in terms of what that will look like. In fact, it will look different in every one of our lives, but, but we need to think through what is that set time and place where I can feast on the Word of God. Many have found it helpful to do so in the mornings at the start of their day when they're most fresh and most alert. Some people aren't fresh or alert in the morning, right? We understand this. And of course, different stages of life present different challenges. So if you are in retirement, leisurely waking up out of bed, eating a, a good solid breakfast and spending an hour with the Lord, that's much more manageable when you don't have to be at work at a certain time, right? It's easier in some ways. That if you are working, or, and perhaps you're like me and have young children in the house, any second to yourself is a precious commodity, isn't it? Few and far between. This is one of the reasons why Caitlin and I, for example, have been so uh, diligent in terms of making sure our kids sleep. It was for our spiritual survival. <laughs> we needed time alone. We needed time with the Lord without interruption. So if you work during the day, utilize your, your, your early mornings, maybe a lunch break, maybe, maybe in the evenings to feast on God's word. If you're a, a busy mom at home, wake up before the kids, try to utilize a nap time, convince your husband to give you 30 minutes to yourself. He ought to do it, right? So again, our, our circumstances are in a variety of ways. And if you're single, if you're an empty nester, right, you, you tend to have different options available to you. Know your circumstances. Know where that time is and set up a specific time where you can devote yourselves daily to God, God's Word. It's also wise to set up a regular place to do so. It's helpful in initiating and forming that habit. Whether it's a chair in your room, whether it's a closet for prayer, whether it's a, a rocking chair on the porch, right, the location doesn't matter, but there needs to be one where you can give yourself over to solitude. Because you need quiet to spend time with the Lord and his word. Seek to eliminate any potential disruption that might come in that time. Turn off your phone. Leave it in another room. Trust me, the, the world will be okay without you posting on Facebook for 30 minutes. Right? We'll survive. And at that time, be quiet before the Lord. And in that quiet place, feast upon the scriptures. Third, establish a plan. Right? Establish a plan. That when you sit down with the scriptures, it's wise to think about what you're going to read before you get there. To have some sort of plan. Having a clear plan for a Bible reading will help aid us in disciplining ourselves with consistency. Now, when we don't rightly plan, sometimes we can struggle to get started, can't we? For example, if you wander into the kitchen at 6 p.m. to try to figure out what to make for dinner, you are much more likely to either Go get McDonald's or grab a bag of potato chips, aren't you, right? When you don't have a plan. If you wander into the gym aimlessly trying to get fit and do exercises and don't have a plan, you're just going to go in and get frustrated and leave. Similarly, it's, it's a good thing for the Christian to establish clarity, some sort of plan for daily Bible reading that will help aid us in consistency. Now, many Christians have found Bible reading plans really helpful. And you can find all sorts of plans available to, to help you structure and provide some sort of plan for your Bible reading. I've seen such plans being useful. I use the Robert Murray McShane plan, 
which has you read a, a chapter from four different locations in the Bible every day, uh, two with your family, two in private, and each year the plan takes you through the Old Testament once and the New Testament and Psalms twice. It's a great plan, but there are lots of other annual Bible reading plans. The plans, again, we're not obsessing over the mechanics, but annual Bible reading plans really can be a great help. But they do provide some temptations, right, that you have to be aware of, particularly spiritual pride and particularly the temptation of kind of cold-hearted routine. I just need to get through the reading for the day. All right, so you've got to be mindful of those temptations. But even if you decide not to take up some sort of formal read-the-Bible-in-a-year plan, that's okay. But you still need to create some sort of plan when it comes to your reading of Scripture. I know many Christians have found it helpful. Maybe they're too paralyzed by this year-long plan and commitment, and it overwhelms them, and then they fall behind, and they start beating themselves up for it, and then not reading the Word at all, right? That, that happens. So other Christians have found it more helpful to, to pick a book of the Bible and to work through it slowly, maybe chapter by chapter every day. And just reading a chapter. Again, the quantity of our Bible reading isn't what we're obsessing over here. The fact that we're consuming God's word. And so they pick a book. And they begin to slowly read a chapter day by day. However you decide to read the Bible, whatever pace you set, whatever, whatever plan you come up with, the goal is to read the Bible every day. And having some sort of plan is going to aid you in being consistent in that effort. Fourth, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. We can't, we can't feast upon the scriptures for spiritual nourishment without the aid of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. You just can't do it. As Paul tells us, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So every time you prepare to open up your Bible, you, you need to say a quick prayer to your own heart. Quick prayer. Holy Spirit, give me understanding of your word. Give me understanding of your word that you inspired. Help me right now. I'm about to open my Bible, Lord. Help me to feast upon this word. Help me to enjoy this word as you convict me and instruct me and nourish me for your glory. Amen. All right, that quick prayer or some variant of it needs to happen every time you open the Bible. A simple prayer like that one calls upon God to help you in your reading. And to remind you that you are dependent upon the Spirit to make your Bible reading fruitful. Fifth, understand the context. Understand the context of what you're reading. Entering into the Bible can be like entering into a world very different than our own. Not only are we separated by thousands of years, but many of us just don't have a solid grasp of the context of the Bible. And that can, that can be challenging and can lead to two big problems. First, we can read and have no clue what we're reading about. Right, that's a problem. And second, when we don't know the context, we tend to have this tendency to misinterpret what we read, which is also dangerous. So today is not the day to give a big how to interpret the Bible rightly, that's a whole other series and a, a, a topic for another day. It's a discipline called hermeneutics. But yet we live today with this embarrassment of riches when it comes to helping us understand the context of the Bible. So if you're a new student of Scripture, of daily Bible reading, is something you haven't established in your life, pick up a, a good study Bible. I find that those are often super helpful in getting people started. I always commend the ESV study Bible, which 
provides some background material and gives you some key themes in the books and, and gives you an outline of the book of the Bible and provides a little bit of commentary, particularly if there's some parts that are confusing to you. So those can be really helpful when you're first getting started. However, as you read the Bible each day, you do want to be mindful of the context in which you read. You want to think through questions like, well, what, what genre of scripture am I reading? When did this passage occur in redemptive history? What is happening before the passage I'm reading? What's happening after the passage of reading? What's happening immediately surrounding this passage? What is the meaning of the original author? And what's the message to the original audience? Those are some basic questions of biblical interpretation that you want to develop the habit of thinking through so that you're not uh, misinterpreting God's word. So you want to understand the context. Six, you want to ask good questions. So speaking of questions, we have to learn to ask those good questions of the scripture text that we are studying. Now these questions that I'm talking about here go beyond mere interpretation questions, but really gear more towards application questions. That as we read the Bible every day, we're not trying to to master a quiz for a New Testament class or an Old Testament class. We're trying to be personally shaped and changed by what we're reading with the Spirit's help. So we want to understand the text, yes, but we want to move beyond just understanding. We want to apply it to our lives. So as we read the Bible every day, we are listening, listening as we're reading to what God may be instructing us or teaching us. And if we haven't applied the Bible to our lives, then friend, you haven't finished reading it yet, right? We need to think through these. We want to ask good questions as we ponder and meditate upon God's word. Questions like, what does this passage teach me about the character of God? Or what does this passage show me about myself and my heart? What what promises are in this passage or truths that, that I'm not believing right now, but I really need to believe? Does this passage that I'm reading, does it convict me? Is it showing me sin in my life that needs to be repented of? Or how does this passage find its fulfillment in Christ? Those are good application questions that will help us think through bringing the text of God's word to bear in our own hearts. And that leads to seventh, reflect and meditate. Reflect and meditate. As you begin to ask those good questions... You want to give space and time for the Spirit of God to work in those questions as you wrestle and meditate over what you've learned from God's Word. Now, this is where the real feasting takes place. This is when you start consuming and devouring for your own soul. And sadly, this is the place where most people stop. Which explains a little bit why some people say, I don't feel like I'm getting anything when I read God's Word. Well, you've stopped short. Right? You haven't reflected and meditated and allowed the Spirit to work through the Word to shape your heart and your life. So meditation on Scripture is what we plan to talk about soon. But I think so many of us, in our Bible reading, we set the table, we plate the food, and then we sit down at the table, and before we pick up our fork and take a bite, we get up and walk away. Right? This is why reflecting and meditating is so important on God's Word. So we're going to talk more about meditation in the coming weeks. i got a whole sermon devoted to scriptural meditation and contemplation as a means of grace. That is coming. But at its basic core, what are we talking about here? We're talking about giving a slow 
and deliberate consideration of what you've read from God's word. Many people have found habits such as journaling as an effective way to kind of focus our mind and to engage with the scriptures. That can be a helpful practice, right? But scriptural meditation is a bridging discipline between God's word and prayer, subjects which we will return to in the coming weeks. Eighth, read in community. Read in community. Today we're focusing primarily on private Bible reading, but the means of the word has a public dimension to it as well. And so the the means of the word of God ought to spill over in the entirety of the Christian life. And so reading the Bible with other people, that can be such a fruitful way to help grow in Christ together. You see, get together with a few friends from, from church. Do it once a week and Work, com, commit together to work through the, the book of Hebrews, chapter by chapter. Or maybe you can do the same with a, the same Bible reading plan, maybe with some members of your community group. And say, we want to read through this together, and we're going to meet up every Sunday after church for lunch, and we want to talk and discuss about what God is teaching us in our Bible reading. Right? Not only does that provide accountability, which we all need when it comes to this means of grace, but those conversations themselves are a means of grace, right? It is a means of grace to have spiritual conversations with God's people. In fact, there's a whole sermon devoted to that coming up later on in this series of spiritual relationships and conversations in the Christian life. Ninth, recognize the enemy. Recognize the enemy. As Paul said, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. As believers, we have to to realize that there is an enemy afoot, that our fight for feasting upon the word of God is a spiritual battle, that we have an enemy who does not want us to come to the table, who will tempt us and lure us with every distraction imaginable to keep us from coming to God's word. So perhaps your, your struggle to read God's word has more to do than just your laziness and your lack of self-discipline. might be a part of it. There might be something more going on. Maybe in your life you are ignoring the schemes of the enemy who wishes to keep you immature in Christ, to keep his church immature and carnal and ineffective. We have to resist the devil, and we have to commit to feasting on the word of God. And then tenth. And finally here, eating begets hungering. Eating begets hungering. You see, as you develop the habit of feasting on the word of God every day, you're going to find this phenomena at work in your heart. That as you eat, you will hunger. Eating begets hungering. The more you consume of God's word, The more you taste of its joys and its wonder and its truth, the more your desire for God's word will increase. And so we come full circle. What's the best way to agitate your appetite for Scripture? By reading Scripture. You see, the more you taste of the goodness of God in the Bible, the more you'll be hungering for more. And that hungering more for God's truth will lead you every day by reminding you of the satisfaction to be had in our Lord Jesus Christ as we are united to him. After all, Jesus talks about this. 
Jesus talking about the manna of Israel said that he is the bread of life. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 6 as he's talking about this. He says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Church, God in Christ has provided, he's prepared his church for a feast to nourish us and sustain us. And God has given us bread from heaven, the flesh of Christ. And we have the word of Christ before us every day, this feast called the Bible, the truth of God's word. And we need this food. We need to consume of the Lord Jesus Christ every day in his promises. We need the word of God to sustain us in the long and hard pilgrimage of the Christian faith. And whoever feeds on the bread of Christ will live forever. We need the good food of scriptures more than you need lunch in just a few minutes. We need it. We need it. God has given us his word. Do you realize that every time, church, you sit down with your Bible open, the word of God sits before you, speaking and teaching and instructing you as you study it, as you read it, as you consume it. God of the universe speaks to us in his word. Take it up like a feast. Consume it. Do not neglect it. Do not ignore it. Take up the book and eat pray together. Oh, Father, we pray that you might give us as your people an appetite for your word, a hungering for truth and righteousness, unlike anything we've experienced before in our Christian lives. Father, we confess that so often, Lord, we are distracted and numbed by many things that steal our, our attention away from the feast before us, in your word. Jesus, we need you. We need you to nourish us and sustain us. And Lord, you have provided us the means of your word, which, which reminds us of Christ, which reminds us day after day of the promises of the gospel. Lord, that keeps us from forgetting our great need of you, even amidst our prosperous lives. Father, we pray that we would heed the counsel of Moses. We would heed the counsel of your word. And Lord, that we would realize that what we really need is your word. So Father, I pray that for the saints at Redemption Church, Lord, that they would be a people with a voracious appetite for truth. That they would commit themselves to personal study of Scripture memorizing it and soaking in it, meditating upon it. And Lord, that it would spill over in our conversations with one another. And Lord, that we would commit ourselves to hearing the word of God preached and taught and discussed. And Lord, that we might grow in maturity and in likeness of Christ, being formed after his pattern. But Lord Jesus, I do pray for many in this room who, who might not have ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Lord, there might be some here this morning who don't know this Jesus, who have not partaken of the bread of eternal life. 
Father, I pray for those who are here this morning that their own appetites for righteousness might be stirred. And Lord, that they would humble themselves this morning, seeing their great spiritual need, seeing that they are sinners, seeing that they are in need of salvation. And Lord Jesus, that you would minister to them to this day as they partake of the food of the gospel that they would repent of their sins and trust in the finished work of Christ who pays the penalty for their sins and who gifts them with his righteousness credited to them. And Father, that they might come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord this morning. Father, however it is that our hearts require work, we pray that we would be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in us now, leading us to repentance and joy as we come to Jesus yet again and feast at his word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.